0: 2020 got us so down that it can be hard to see any good ahead. But there are better days to come. And even if we can't imagine a bright future, God can. This could be our best year ever. So look up. There's good news for 2021. In the interest of full disclosure, I should tell you that uh, I had a different talk planned for this weekend um, at a different Bible story and a different outline, different talk all ready to go. Um, But the events of this week really pushed me in a different direction. Um, so, I am kind of going off script a little bit from what I had planned, and, and really we 're just going to workshop a text that I hope is going to be um, helpful to you this morning. But I did know ahead of time, even when I had a completely different plan in mind, what the title for this week was going to be right It was always the title was always going to be don 't look down uh, and the reason for that is because well. Some of you here in the room, you, you know me personally, and you're not going to be surprised by this. Others of you, uh, this will be a surprise to you, but I'm, I'm actually quite afraid of heights. Um, well, actually, I'm not afraid of heights. I'm afraid of falling uh, from heights. See... I don't mind flying, like I'll get on an airplane. That doesn't bother me at all. And technically, I I know some people are afraid of heights. They won't get on an airplane. That doesn't bother me at all because there's something to hang on to, right? Um, But what I don't do well is if I have to be up high and there's nothing to hold on to, right? Because I have this feeling that I'm going to fall. And uh, as a result of that, well, it creates some interesting situations. Like, for instance, every, uh, you know, not every year, this year I didn't, but most years I'll put Christmas lights up on the house, I'll go up on the roof. Uh, and that is, you know how they sing the song, it's the most wonderful time of the year. This is like the worst time of the year for me, right? Those hours that I spend on the roof are hours that I'm closer to Jesus than I will ever be like I'm doing a lot of praying, my blood pressure is sky high, you know, and, um, you know, I, I just, I feel like I'm in some sort of war movie. It's very, it's very intense, you know, and I, I've made this deal with myself that I will not stand up on the roof. I don't have to do that, right? I can just scooch around on my rear end, so like I'm, I'm holding on to the, the, you know, the roof on both sides and kind of scooting around. It's very fun for the neighbors to watch, and they come out and they make bets, you know, do you think he will stand up this year? I'll put five bucks on that, yeah, I'll take that action. I don't think he's going to stand up. You know, that's what I do. I enrich people's lives that way. Um, But I, I, as somebody who's afraid of heights, I've had people tell me this all the time. Just don't look down. Don't look down. It won't be so bad. And that's actually true. As a matter of fact, if I'm looking at a height from the ground, it doesn't look scary. What is it about actually being up there and looking down that suddenly makes it scary, right? So, I mean, I'll be looking at people bungee jump. And as long as I'm on the ground, I'm like, I think I'd like to do that. (laughs) And I'll feel that way up until I get there. Like, I watch videos of people skydiving, and I think that looks like so much fun. I guarantee you the time at which I would decide it doesn't look like fun is when I'm on the wing of that plane going, there's no way you're getting me off of this thing, you know? When we lived in Oklahoma City, and this has been, I don't know, 12 years ago, we went, there's a big water park there in Oklahoma city. And we went there and we were, you know, going down the slides that have the tubes and so forth. But at these water parks, I guess it's all water parks. They all have this one slide that you don't get on a tube. It's just you, just you on the slide. And it's straight down, you know, you get on it and it's like almost for a little while, it's almost like the slide leaves your body and you're just plummeting. And then eventually you come back onto it. and, And so I thought, well, that looks like a lot of fun, you know, again, from the Ground it looks like a lot of fun, I climb up the ladder and I get up there to the top, and I start to look down, and I immediately realize this was a sinful mistake on my part i uh i i I you know I don't need to be doing this, and, and the guy says, "Look, seriously, you know it's not that big a deal. All you do you lay back, you cross your arms like this <laughs> I begin to think about other situations in which they want you to lay back and cross your arms like this, you know. Are you getting me ready for my casket in case this doesn't work out? I, I don't think I want to do that, you know. So I decide not to. And boy, you know, there's just there's just something about having to ask five-year-olds to get out of the way as you're going backwards down a ladder from a from a water slide. It just takes a hit to your masculinity, I guess. But I, it is true, isn't it, that when you look down from a height, it makes it worse. It's funny, if you, can keep, if you can keep your eyes level so that you don't realize how high you are, it's not that big a deal. But once you look down, it makes it worse. Well, I guess in a metaphorical sense, we could use that, couldn't we? Because there's a sense in which our focus impacts our fears. What we choose to look at, what we choose to direct our focus toward, that impacts whether we feel courageous or whether we feel fearful. And I want to talk this week, and this is why I told you I kind of changed paths, because I kind of had a different plan for this week. But as a God-fearing, America-loving person in 2021, I have become more and more impressed by the importance of being careful what I focus on right now. Because if I focus on the wrong stuff, I'm just not going to make it i got to focus on the right stuff. So this talk, and and because it was changed late in the game, may not be quite as polished as the typical talk that I try to bring, but I'm just going to walk us through a passage that talks about how important it is to focus on the right things and how that impacts the outcome of what we are able to do in this world through the power of Jesus Christ. And we're going to find this in Matthew chapter 14. If you have your Bible or your electronic reading device, this is a good week to follow along because we're going to stay in Matthew 14 the whole time what's happening in Matthew 14. So we're going to pick up about mid-chapter, but what's happening so far, early in the chapter, the disciples are following Jesus around as he's teaching, and Jesus is drawing these big crowds as he's teaching. And they're, they're quite a ways out from town, any town. And Jesus is teaching to these thousands of people. And evening is starting to set, and uh, Jesus the disciples come to Jesus and say, look, you better dismiss these people because we're nowhere near where they can get food. It's gonna take them a while to travel to go get food before the end of the day. And Jesus looks at the disciples and says, you feed them. Of course, they don't have any food to feed them with. And there's not like they could go get food somewhere. There are no McDonald's, no Burger Kings out there where they're at. And then on top of all that, they had no money. The disciples were, their occupation was following Jesus around in his ministry. They hadn't, they, And they understood that the crowd was so big, if they got jobs and worked for a long period of time, they still wouldn't have enough money to feed all these people. So they realized the absurdity of what Jesus told them to do. Meanwhile, and i got to give Andrew credit. Andrew, one of Jesus' disciples, started canvassing the crowd to figure out, did anybody have any food? And he finds this little boy who brought a box lunch. Mom packed him a lunch. And the lunch has five little loaves of pita bread. We're not talking loaves of bread like you go get at the store, right? We're talking about little pita loaves. Five pita loaves of bread and and two fishes. And, and, you know, when I think about fishes, I think about, you know, when you go fishing and you catch fishes. If I catch them, they're like, see, I do catch and release, so I can tell you they're whatever size, you know. It sort of grows over time, but... That's not what kind of fish we're talking about. We're talking about little sardines. These these were just little tiny, tiny fish that were supposed to give the bread flavor. That's all they were there for. And yet as you recall, if you've read this passage, Jesus would bless this food, and as he would break it apart, it kept growing to the point that they fed thousands of people. I mean, imagine this. Think about what an event planner has to go through to feed thousands of people. Jesus fed thousands of people from this little boy's sack lunch. What was the lesson the disciples were supposed to learn? The disciples were supposed to learn that when you're with Jesus, the things that would constrain you don't constrain you. The rules don't apply when you're with Jesus. When when you're with Jesus, all kinds of things can happen. All bets are off. So what you, would normally this is important, what you would normally tell yourself, I can't do, you can do if you're with Jesus. That's the whole point of Philippians 4.13. We say, I can do all things through Christ. When I was a kid, I thought, well, then that means I can go lift the piano. And then I would get disappointed because I couldn't lift the piano. That's not the point. The point is whatever God wants to do through you and whatever God asks of you is possible. If Jesus is on your side, he can make it happen. So we don't ever tell God, I can't do what you've asked me to do. When God asks us to do something, he'll make it work and that's what happened with the disciples that's the lesson they should have learned but they were a little slow on the uptake and you'll see here in a little bit that the bible actually tells us they didn't quite learn the lesson they were supposed to learn so jesus feeds and by by the way not only did they feed the thousands of people that were there but there were 12 baskets of leftovers afterward now why were there 12 baskets of leftovers I am just making a hunch here. This is just a this is just Jonathan intuition. I think there were 12 baskets of leftovers because Jesus wanted each of the 12 disciples to have to carry a basket back to this lady's house where she packed the lunch for her little boy, right? She packs him a little sack lunch, she opens the door, what's all this? And her little boy says it's just leftovers, mom, it's just leftovers, right? So that the disciples would get it in their heads. That not only will Jesus equip you to do what he asks you to do, he will equip you to do even more than what he asks you to do. It's a big deal. So now we're coming off of this story of Jesus feeding the thousands. And in Matthew 14, we're going to pick up in verse 22, immediately after this, so immediately after that miracle, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. Now, why? Why? does it say insisted? And the, the Greek language is very clear here. This is a constraining, a compelling, you have to do this. You have to get into the boat and go to the other side. And the thing is, he's doing this while he is sending the people home and he's going to go into the hills by himself to pray. So basically he's saying, you have to get into the boat without me. The 12 of you got to get in the boat, go to the other side. I'm going to go do something else. So why does it say he insisted? I I could make a few guesses. I don't know for sure, but I can make a few guesses. One could be that they didn't want to be away from Jesus. Would you want to be away from Jesus if you were one of the disciples? I mean, this was a, here's the deal. There were some people that loved Jesus. There were some people that hated him from the very beginning. And so it was a tenuous thing to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But on top of all that, Jesus was where all the miracles were. I I can understand if I'm one of the disciples and Jesus saying, I'm going to go over here, you go over there. I could understand how that'd be difficult. Or it could be more altruistic. It could be that they didn't want Jesus to be by himself. They understood the danger that there were some people that were out to get him. So maybe they didn't want Jesus to be all by himself and have no protection. That could be it. You know what my best bet is, though? My best bet is that that Jesus had to insist because they were reading the weather. Because several of the disciples were fishermen, and they knew how to read the weather. And they knew how big a deal it was to get on the water when the weather wasn't right. See, the Sea of Galilee It's an interesting body of water. It's, it's a great place to fish. Certainly in the ancient world, given the tools that they had for fishing, it was a great place to fish. It had sandy beaches, temperate weather all year round. Um, often the, the fishermen could sleep on the beach because the weather was, was warm enough that they could do that. The problem is that it's below sea level, a little over 600 feet below sea level, and there's mountain ranges to the east and the west. And an east wind would, from time to time, sweep in, and it would drive down the mountains and plow into that water, and it would cause terrible storms and waves of seven to eight feet high, sometimes a little higher. So... What fishermen had learned to do, if you were gonna fish the Sea of Galilee, you didn't just have to be a fisherman, you had to be a weatherman. You had to be able to know when to not get on the water because if you got on the water, water at the wrong time, it could be fatal. And my hunch is, Jesus said, I want you to get on the boat. And the disciples said, if you looked at the sky, I mean, look at the color of the sky, that's not a good sign. If you kind of, you feel the, feel the stickiness in the air, that's not good. Jesus, it's not a good time to be on the water. And Jesus said, no, I still want you to get on the water and go to the other side. Of course, Jesus sends the people home. He goes up to the hills by himself to pray and night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were, now check this out. See if this doesn't like somehow resonate with how you feel today. The disciples were in trouble and they were in trouble far away from land. See, it's one thing to be be in trouble if you can see your way out. It's one thing to be in trouble if you can see light at the end of the tunnel. It's one thing to be in trouble if you can triangulate how you're going to get out of trouble. It is a whole other thing to be in trouble and have no path out, to literally just be trying to survive. You don't even know how you're going to get out of trouble. And as far as you know, as far as you can see into the future, the trouble is still there. You're just trying to keep it going. I mean, I don't know how you feel. I sort of feel like this coronavirus has been kind of like that. It's like nobody knows when to project that our lives will go back to normal, whatever normal will be. I don't even know whether we'll ever get back to what normal was. And you, you just don't see that light at the end of the tunnel. And there's a sense in which the, the energy that you have is expended in just trying to survive and just trying to keep going. That's where the disciples were. They were in trouble because a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. And the the original language really here indicates especially heavy waves. So who knows how high these waves were. This was a, a particularly bad storm. And there was no fisherman's boat in the ancient world that was built for this. Now, we will talk in a minute about the fact that in the ancient world, they would especially fortify boats that were made for the Sea of Galilee. Archaeologists tell us that fishermen that were gonna fish on the Sea of Galilee, they would especially build strong boats to try to, 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 try to keep them uh, um, you know, intact during storms. But if it was a particularly bad storm, there was no boat that was built to handle that. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. Well, three o'clock in the morning, that's significant. That tells us, and Bible scholars tell us that if we do the math, this means that they have been fighting these waves for nine hours. Nine hours. You know what happens when you fight for your life for eight or nine hours? Eventually the adrenaline stops firing and you just hit a wall and you crash. I know, I've experienced that. My wife and I, we talked about this before, my wife and I were in Colorado during the quote-unquote 1,000-year flood. We were really at the epicenter of where the mudslides were. And for a period of time... Myself, the other pastors and pastor's wives that were there and the, the facility staff there, we, we spent an entire day, eight, nine hours, getting anything that we could, bales of hay, rocks, pieces of wood, anything that we could to build up uh, channels so that the water would go away from the property, away from the animals, away from us. You fight for your life for eight or nine hours, I promise you'll get to the point where you don't even feel like you can go on because you just pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed until all the adrenaline's gone. And I think that's where these guys were. They had done everything they could just to keep the boat afloat, and now they're running out of strength. And here comes Jesus walking on the water. Now, here's the deal: when I was a kid in Sunday school, and they would put up the little flannel graph. Any of you remember flannel graph? This was like this was like um, stop motion for the the 80s and 90s. And they put up little flannel indicators of the Bible characters, and there was always bright daylight. Jesus comes walking on the water, and the disciples think he's a ghost, and as a kid, I'm thinking, why on earth would the disciples think he's a ghost? They could see it's Jesus. Well, I know this is really sad, and for those of you who love flannel graph, I'm really sorry to break it to you, but flannel graph is not always particularly accurate, and... Um, So if you think about it, this is 3 o'clock in the morning. How good is your visibility typically at 3 o'clock in the morning? And it's not just 3 o'clock in the morning, but they're in the middle of waves, the boat's rocking back and forth, and suddenly they see somebody walking on the water. My hunch is their visibility wasn't very good. And after all, how many times have they seen somebody walk on water before? Pretty much never. So I I think we can give them a pass for the fact that they didn't exactly know at first what to make of it. So they're really upset. They were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to still the storm. I'm going to make this go away. Is that what he said? He said, take courage. I'm here. Do you know what I want Jesus to do when we have a problem? I want him to fix it. I want him to fix it. I feel like our nation is really in trouble right now. And what I would really like for God to do is fix it. I feel like this coronavirus thing has just upended our lives. You know what I'd really like God to do? I'd like him to fix it. I'd like him to fix whatever problems you're going through. Some of you are going through problems with your family. Some of you sit in my office and tell me about the problems you're going through with your, in your families, and your separation and divorce, and I want God to fix it. I want God to fix the problems that families are having with their kids. I want God to fix the financial problems that people come and sit in my office and talk to me about. But you know what the truth is? God doesn't always fix the storm, but the one promise that he's given us is that he will be there in the storm. That's why he says, don't be afraid. I am here. And the thing about it is, as Christians... It is critical, is mission critical that as Christians, we are able to see beyond the fact that we're dealing with the storm and see the fact that the God that created this world, this planet, and sustains us with our every breath is in the storm with us, and that once he's in the storm, the reality of God being with us is more important than the reality of being in the storm. Can I get political for a second? I'm almost never political. I've been reading Christians' comments. Actually, let me, let me make it even worse than that. I, I've been reading pastors' comments on blog posts, and I'm actually even a member of a pastors' group on Facebook, and I watch things that people write. I'm really concerned that as Christians, somehow we cannot get it through our heads that God is not up there wringing his hands saying, what am I going to do about the political situation in the United States? And, and the, beyond all of that, that somehow we have the impression that God has called us to be political commentators. God, God has called us to be something so much more important than political commentators. You know what? If, that's your, you know, if you get a job and a news station hires you to do commentary, then good for you. Do commentary. But for the rest of us, God has called us to be world changers, not commentators. We're not supposed to sit on the sideline and just comment on everything. We should be out there changing the world. We're not going to change the world by being Democrats. We're not going to change the world by being Republicans. We're not going to change. Here's the deal, by the way. Everybody wants to make you into a this person supporter or a that person supporter. Let me tell you what. I'm a Jesus supporter. When people line up with Jesus, I'm with them. When they don't line up with Jesus, I'm not with them. Take courage. I'm here. What does it mean for God to be there? It means God has your back. You know, it's one of those things. There are going to be things that my kiddos go through that I would do anything to keep them from going through, but I can't. But you know what I can do? I can be there for them. And they know their dad loves them, and it makes it better that their dad is there. And that's what God is saying. God is saying, look, there are going to be some things that you have to go through that were not my perfect will for you that are going to break God's heart. I think, God is, I think God is brokenhearted about what our nation is going through with coronavirus. I think God is brokenhearted about the political scene in the United States of America. But you know what? God is with us, and he's got our back. It's time for us to wake up and act as courageous Christians and recognize that we're not a product of our situation. We are a changers of the situation. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, and by the way, this should say, since it's really you, because that would be a more accurate interpretation. Since it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. If I'm wrong about this, I'll apologize to the rest of the disciples when I'm in heaven, I promise. But I have a hunch that when Peter said, since it's you, ask me to come out and walk to you on the water, that the rest of the disciples, other 11 disciples are just rolling their eyes going, that is so Peter. Because Peter had a way of he had a way of being a, a 0% or 100% personality. If he was in, he was all in. Sometimes he was too much in, you know, the Mount of Transfiguration. You have Jesus there and and uh, Moses and Elijah show up next and Peter's so excited. This is amazing. Jesus and Moses and, and Elijah. And he says, you know what? Uh, we should, you know, it's good for us to be here. We should create three temples. And Beyond all of that, I want to go, Peter, you and who else is going to build three temples? I mean, the guy really would talk before. He's one of those people who had to hear things come out of his mouth to know what he was thinking. He said, we're going to build three temples, you know, one for Moses and one for you and one for Elijah. Remember, it was God himself who had to correct him and say, no, you're you're supposed to worship Jesus and him only. Then later on, later on in Jesus' ministry, Jesus is going to be washing the disciples' feet. And remember what Peter said? You'll never wash my feet. And Jesus comes back and says, well, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, then you don't have any part in my ministry. Do you remember what he said? Then give me a bath, wash my head, wash my hands, you know, what? I mean, this is Peter for you. I mean, you know, he's just, he's got that personality. When, when Jesus says he's going to go to the cross, Peter says, no, it should never happen to you. And Jesus has to say, get, get behind me, Satan. So my hunch is the rest of the disciples, when Peter says, you know, ask me to come walk out to you on the water, the rest of the disciples are just shaking their heads going, oh my goodness, Peter. I'm glad you said that, not me. But this one time, it really pleased Jesus. It it was what he, Jesus was happy because he was happy that Peter asked him that. We can assume that because he said, yeah, come on out here. Why? I think it's because Peter got what none of the rest of the guys got which is, even though normally being out there on the water in the middle of a storm would be incredibly dangerous, being with Jesus is safe no matter where it is. So if Jesus is out there, I'd just assume be out there instead of in the boat. The safest place is with Jesus. It's a lesson that I hope my kids learn. I don't know about you, but if you're my age or you're older, Isn't it true that we're a little scared about the world that we're handing over to our kids? I mean, I'm a little bit concerned because it may not be safe to follow Jesus. From a public perception place, the world may not believe. By the time this is all said and done, it may not look very safe to follow Jesus. It may actually look quite scary to follow Jesus. But I hope my kids understand the safest place is always with Jesus. No matter if it looks dangerous, no matter what people say, they can threaten you if they want to, but the safest place is always with Jesus. And that's what Peter had in his mind. The safest place is always with Jesus. Even if it looks like it's dangerous, it's still the safest place. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. This is a bright and shining moment for Peter. I mean, this is a real huge deal. And it was really cool for about 60, 90 seconds. Because when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God. I mean, they're finally getting it, they exclaimed. So get this in your mind. Peter is walking toward Jesus. As long as he's looking at Jesus, he's all right. And as long as you're looking at Jesus, you're going to be all right. But when he looks down, he's in trouble. He starts to sink. Hmm. Storm in the Bible is always a metaphor for trouble. There's a lot of symbolism in the Bible. Um, And even though we're to take the Bible literally, there is symbolism on top of what we can see literally. And in this case, anytime we see a storm, it speaks to us about trouble in life. So what can we take away from this? Well, first, let's just observe what we can take from the story. Let's just look and see maybe how we can draw some parallels to our own lives. First of all, this was the worst case scenario that they always imagined might happen. I mean, they knew this happened to some people. They just hoped it would never happen to them being out on the boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, dragged into the middle of the lake. See, here's the deal. They should have been crossing over on the north side. And if you cross over on the north side, you're never going to be more than a mile away from shore. But somehow, we know, because because, uh, between Matthew and John, we can triangulate how far away they'd gotten from shore, that they were roughly three and a half to four miles away from shore at this point. So they had been dragged into the the sort of the big middle of the Sea of Galilee instead of being on the north side where they should have been. This is this is what the worst case, this is what would happen to people who didn't know better, that would get out on the water during bad conditions and they would be, you know, risk takers. And so you, you just didn't, you didn't take those risks so that you weren't that, you, you weren't in that situation, but they knew it could happen, just tried to avoid it. I'm wondering who I'm talking to in this room You'd seen other people get divorced, and you said, never happened to me. I'm going to do everything I possibly can to avoid that. And, and to your credit, you have. You've done everything that you could to try to make sure, because it was the worst case scenario. You knew it could happen, but you said, I'm not going to let it happen. I, I know it's not going to happen to me because I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and I'm going to make sure that doesn't happen to me. But now it's the worst case scenario you're living in. It. It's happening to you. Or maybe you saw other people in desperate financial situations. And so you said to yourself, I know that that's possible, that's the worst case scenario, it's not gonna happen to me and I'm gonna do this and this and this and this and this and this to make sure that it never happens to me. And then coronavirus hits and you lose your job and you go through financial hit after financial hit and now suddenly you're finding yourself in the place that you said you would never be. It's that worst case scenario that you knew could happen but you said it will never happen but now it has happened and now you're having to deal with it. When you were raising your kiddo, And they were really little. You saw other people's kids grow up to really leave the faith and go off the rails. And you said, my kid will never do that. And I'm going to do this and this and this and this and this to make sure that it never happens. And then now you're at a point where the worst case scenario that you'd always known could happen, but you promised yourself would not happen, has now happened, and you're having to deal with it. That's where the disciples were. And after hours of fighting the waves, they were farther away from the shore than when they started. I don't know if you, if any part of you resonates with this, but there have been times in my life where I've been going through a problem and I'm working as hard as I can to get through the problem. And yet it seems like the harder I work, the farther I get from the goal that I'm trying to reach. I was talking to somebody the other day who said, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get my finances in line. I went to the Dave Ramsey classes, which, by the way, are a wonderful resource. And, you know, I've got all these things lined out. But, you know, right as I started getting my, you know, plan put together for debt, then appliances go out in the house and end up having to get new tires. And I had this happen and I had this happen. And I'm worse off right now financially than I was when I decided to get better off financially. And that's exactly where the disciples are. They're like, "We're we're trying to get out of this. But the farther we try to get out of it, the more we seem to be into it. Then they were exhausted from fighting a losing battle. There's something about traction. If you're getting traction and it feels like you're actually getting somewhere, it sort of fuels the fire to keep you going. But you know what it's like when you're fighting really hard and you're not getting traction and you just start getting tired. You just start getting worn out and it's like, man, I just don't even know why I'm trying. In a sense, they were doing the right thing and they were getting the wrong outcome. I'm a firstborn. How many of you are firstborn in the room? That's almost enough for a support group. Um, I, I'm a typical firstborn. Um, I have a real strong sense of justice. Firstborns understand the if-then sequence really well. If this happens, then this happens. Because when we were born, our parents took all of this very seriously. And they were very much in the if-then mode. By the time the next couple kids are born, the parents are like, whatever, I'm tired. By the time the last kid is born, the last kid's just floating through on a cloud, you know? um, Firstborns, we understand if-then. So it's like, I think of it like a pop machine approach to life, right? You know, you go to the pot machine, you put in however much it costs for a Coke now, seven, eight bucks, and you press the button, (laughs) right? And nothing comes out. It's infuriating because you did what you were supposed to do, but you didn't get what you were supposed to get. And that's what's happening with the disciples. Jesus told them to get on the boat, cross the other side. They got in the boat. They tried to cross the other side. They did what they were supposed to do, but they weren't getting what they were supposed to get. Well, What can we we take away as lessons? I told you this is a little little less structured than than the usual talk. Can Can I tell you, as I'm reading through this story, something that just really stands out to me. You got these guys in this situation. They're really exhausted. Nothing's working for them. And even though they're doing the right thing, they're not getting the right outcome. They're in the storm. But something that just really stands out to me is that Jesus said, don't be afraid before he calmed the storm. Now it would make sense to say, don't be afraid if the storm was already calm because the risk is over. But I want you to get this in the middle of extreme risk and extreme danger. Jesus says, don't be afraid. It only works. I mean, as a formula, it only works if Jesus is bigger than the storm. If Jesus is not bigger than the storm, he has no right to tell you not to be afraid of the storm. But if you consider Jesus to be bigger than the storm, then he has a right to tell you not to be afraid of the storm. And here's our problem as 2021 Christians is that we give lip service to the fact that God is bigger than our problems, but we don't yet really believe it. So, why do I not have peace in the middle of the storm? Let me tell you what, step one is really digesting and coming to the belief that God is bigger than the storm that I'm in. It's bigger than a meme. It's bigger than an internet platitude. It's bigger than something that we post on social media. It either is true or it's not true. And if it is true, Christians in 2021 better start living it or we're not gonna make a difference in this world. (laughs) You know, I didn't mention this in the previous messages, but there's a verse in the Bible that talks about God's peace. And it says, God's peace passeth understanding, passeth understanding. You know, when I was a kid, I, I would read that, and I would think passeth understanding was like, you know, on Thanksgiving when somebody passeth the potatoes to you. You know, God gives understanding to you, passeth understanding. But actually, that word passeth there means it passes like you would pass somebody on the highway. It means to overtake. It means to get there first. In 2021, more than ever, we need a peace that gets there before the explanation. You know, if it is peace that gets there before understanding, that's what we need right now. We need peace that happens before we understand why. We need peace that comes before we understand what is the solution going to be. We need peace that comes before we understand why people do the crazy things that they do. We need peace right now. And And the Bible says the only place to get that kind of peace is from God. In Mark, and this is just another telling of the same story. Uh, in the book of Mark, it says they were totally amazed, they being the disciples, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Well, it's easy to point fun, poke fun at the disciples. Yeah, you guys still didn't get it. I mean, God fed thousands of people, and you guys still didn't get it. But then I think, how many times does God look down from heaven and say, Jonathan still does not understand the significance of what I did for him two months ago? He still doesn't understand how important it is that I brought him through this a year ago. He doesn't remember how deep in trouble he was. And he still doesn't understand the significance of what it was that I brought him through that. It's so weird, isn't it? That Satan's first order of business in a crisis is to erase your memory of all the crises that you've been through before that God somehow helped you through. The the, the main thing that we need to to bask in to really center ourselves in is that if God has brought us through crisis after crisis after crisis after crisis before, what would convince us that he's not going to bring us through this one? If he brought us through those, he's going to bring us through that. We've got to understand the significance of what God has brought us through if we're going to have calm in the storm. The significance of the miracle. What can we learn from Peter Well, first off, the boat represented everything Peter had been taught to trust. He'd been taught to trust his boat, the way that we're in Wichita, we're taught to trust our basements and our storm shelters. The boat is there for you to keep you safe on the lake. Peter was taught to trust his experience and his intuition. But how many of us know that the things that you've been taught to trust will often let you down? Here's here's the thing. I told you I've been reading. And and, and interestingly, I'm I'm just going to go ahead and say it most of what I was reading over the past few days were things that pastors were writing, fellow pastors. And I sit there and I scratch my head and I go, what on earth gave us the impression that our job was to trust any single political party? I mean, I I get it. There are things, we've been taught to trust certain things, but at a certain point, you have to realize that just because you've been taught to trust something doesn't mean that it is trustworthy. Ultimately, there is one source of trustworthiness and it is God. When organizations and people's character line up with God, then then they're trustworthy. When their character doesn't line up with God, then they're not trustworthy. Peter had been taught to trust the boat. Now the boat was letting him down. What did Peter say? What was the breakthrough that Peter experienced? And if you don't get anything else from this talk, this is the thing that I want you to get. What is the breakthrough that Peter experienced? He had to come to the point Whereas an individual, he said, I trust Jesus more. You know what? I have skeptical trust about other things in my life. Understanding that there is no perfect person. There is no perfect organization. There is no perfect group of people. So I trust to degree Amen? I I trust certain things to a degree. But when it comes to Jesus, I bank all my trust. There is no skepticism there. It's not to a degree. I trust him more. So you can compare it to anything else. Do I trust my spouse? Yes, I trust Jesus more. Do I trust my church? Yes, I trust Jesus more. Do I trust a political party? Very little. (laughs) I trust Jesus way more. And Peter's saying, it doesn't matter if it looks dangerous with Jesus. I know that's the safest place to be. Now, I told you the name of the talk is Don't Look Down. I'm already in overtime. Could I have just a few more minutes? I just want to talk about the cost of looking down. Because we need to get this in our groundwater. The things that happen to us when we look down. Notice again, when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. So first off, when we look down, we become obsessed with the size of the problem. See, here's the thing. The problem is the problem, but our perception of the problem is going to impact our faith. How big we choose to believe the problem is and how big we choose to believe the problem is is going to be based mostly on how much we obsess over the problem. Now, my wife knows when I'm reading the news because of how depressed I get. She'll walk in the room. She'll see me on the floor and goo and she'll realize I've been reading the news, you know? well, the thing is, I don't know if you've experienced this, but you read one news article. I mean, you go to Google something else and then there's all these news articles and one of them catches your attention. You read that news article and then it links you to another news article and it links you to another news article. And before you know it, your spirit is so deflated that you just want to crawl in a hole somewhere. And my wife sees that and she says, turn that off on your phone. It's killing you, right? She's kind of right. Because what happens is we... I mean, our grandparents, they would get at most the daily paper and maybe a couple of broadcasts. That's how they would get their national news. Today, we're seeing new articles pop up every five minutes and we're digesting this steady stream of acid and then we're wondering why we have indigestion. You become obsessed with the size of the problem. Here's what Peter understood. At some point in your Christian life, you're going to have to decide either to major on the size of the problem or to major on the size of your God. You're going to have to choose. You're either going to obsess about the God who holds you firm in the middle of this, or you're going to obsess about all the things that seem scary and risky and like they're going to take you out. Here's the second thing. If you look down, the second thing is we let the problem dictate our emotions. We let the problem dictate how we feel. Check this out. It says, when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified. That means that his emotion was something else before that. I don't know what it was. Hope, excitement, going over the boat to walk to Jesus. Maybe it was relief that as long as he was with Jesus, he was gonna be safe. How many of us know that when we're in the zone with God, When we're connected with God, our emotions are right where they need to be. It's like this beautiful calibration that our emotions are where they need to be when we're in the zone with God. But when we become obsessed with everything that's going on around us, suddenly our emotions are just plummeting. That's when he became terrified is when he looked at the waves. All right, here's the last thing. When we look down, we miss the miracle. I mean, it's kind of a big deal to be walking on water, don't you think? I mean, there were no cell phones, but I'd be taking a selfie. It's kind of a big thing right? But it only lasted as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus. See, sometimes I work with people and they get so frustrated at themselves because they start, you know, they'll call it turning over a new leaf. I started on a journey toward God and I got in a small group and I really was on fire for God. And that lasted for like six weeks. And then I just, I don't know what happened. I'll tell you what happened. The world crowded in and we started to take our eyes off Jesus. And then we sort of just sort of fell out of it. Taking our, putting our eyes on Jesus is the most important thing we can do and not looking down. So let me ask you a practical question. Let's get practical. We've been talking abstract this whole time. Let's get really practical. What can you do that can help substantiate that peace in your heart during this time? I want you to know that as a Christian, you're going to always have this war within you between two forces. That are very powerful. One force is your faith, the other force is your fear. They're going to be going at each other like this all the time. That's normal. There's nothing wrong with you. That's how it is. Now, which one is going to win? You remember that old riddle that they used to say if you have two bulldogs that are the same size and they're fighting each other, which one's going to win and it's the one that you feed the most? It's going to matter which one you feed the most. I'm asking you a question the life your life the way that you have it orchestrated right now are you feeding your faith or are you feeding your fear what you look at what you look at online is it feeding your faith or is it feeding your fear the conversations that you have with other people is it feeding your faith or your fear right the self talk the things you tell yourself is that feeding your faith or is it feeding your fear Say, Jonathan, I don't know how to feed my faith. I want to have stronger faith, but I don't know how to feed my faith. Well, the Bible says faith comes from hearing, and hearing through what? Through the word of Christ. Could I, could I give you a challenge? This is a challenge I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do myself. I wouldn't ask you to do something that I wouldn't do. I'm going to do this myself. Just for a week this is a week-long challenge. You can do this just for a week. In the next week, the average American will spend 15.7 hours on social media. And actually, that's a low estimate. And I think that's probably, I think most people would agree with me that's a low estimate, but that's on the low side. 15.7 hours on social media. If you were to take whatever your social media app of choice is off your phone for a week, I know everybody gasps. gasps. If you were to take your favorite social media app off your phone for a week and put the Bible app on your phone. And every time you were tempted to go on social media, every time you would have pressed the button for social media, if you pressed the button to look at the Bible, here's the cool thing. In 15.4 hours, you could read the entire New Testament. In less time than most of us are spending on social media in a week, you could read the entire New Testament, the gospels, the Pauline epistles, the book of Revelation that tells us about what's to come. In three weeks you'd have the whole Bible read. Remember how you used to go through the store and they'd have the one year Bible because we were trying to excite people about the fact you could read the whole Bible in in a year. Most of us could read the whole Bible in three weeks if we read it at the same pace that we read social media. See what I'm saying? Are we feeding our faith or are we feeding our fear? But here's the thing. If this room, just this room, not even all the services at New Spring this weekend, if just this room would commit to grounding ourselves in God's word instead of grounding ourselves in all the news reports and all the craziness that's going on in this world, we could change this world. We absolutely could do it. Let's do that. Let's choose to trust God and understand that he is in control and give him our life and say, no matter what it looks like, it may look dangerous out there, but where Jesus is, that's the safest place to be and that's where we're gonna be. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful group of people that are here today. Help us to have courage in difficult times and to know that you are with us. Help us to follow you only and to know that you will always be there for us. Help us to do what you've called us to do in this dark world. Help us to be salt and light. And we'll thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for being here this week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time newspring.org.